1: You want the dynamite from the post rest up AEW lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubble Which We hear from John and Wait. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, yeah, this thing might blow. Everything you hear are opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the folks and let them know. Hello,
2: everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei.
0: Hello, John. How are you doing?
2: I am doing well. Are you? I'm, uh, I'm a few minutes behind schedule, so I apologize. Um, but actually it was, it, it was okay. I, I don't know what, uh, I, I don't even know why I, I was off by a, a few minutes here. I thought I'd be here at 10.05, but I, I, I did miss ah. the cutoff, but we're all up to date. We're ready to go uh we have a lot to discuss
0: a lot yeah a lot coming out of this dynamite and in the world of wrestling in general so let's get to it
2: today was a very very busy day so we're going to uh go head first into everything um I guess off the top, just from a, a local angle coming out of AEW tonight, was the announcement of their first Toronto dates for later this year, October the 12th and 13th. They're going to do a Wednesday and Thursday night uh, back-to-back set of shows with a live Dynamite and then doing Rampage on the Thursday night. And this will be from the Coca-Cola Coliseum, uh, which is the home of the Toronto Marlies and where WWE largely comes now for their, their live events, uh, when their house shows up here. Yeah. For their house shows, live events, because, mm-hmm. um, TV is few and far between. Although they are doing TV here at Scotiabank in mid August. Uh, but tickets will go on sale August 26th and, I'm trying to recall just off the top of my head. I know for house shows, WWE can typically put in, I want to say, around 9,000 in hmm. that place. So I don't know what the configuration is going to be for AEW with their set if they use up everything. Um, but I, I would imagine the demand is going to be very high. But nonetheless, that's still a lot of tickets to push for for back-to-back nights as opposed to just one.
0: I don't think they will have any trouble. Um, selling up to nine thousand per per night i mean I, I I suppose it's a true test, especially for rampage on the second night
2: i I think the second night is more your question i I think the first one it 's going to be a hot ticket i I suspect it's going to be pretty high on the the second night but it's it's still it's um th- those fans that will be willing to go back to back and and you're not going to have this isn't like this is a weekend event either um will you get the same amount of of travelers that are coming up when Dynamites it's going to Buffalo in September um you know you will get some um but I I do think like Montreal this is probably the closest you'll get to uh, aew if you wanted to make that trip if you're in Ottawa Montreal so those are those are gonna be hot shows and I think it'll be a, a hot ticket
0: for sure. Well, I mean, you know, being, being from here, I think that there's always been so much discussion about when they will run here. Um, and also more discussion about where they would run, you know, with people, you know, uh, really suggesting stadiums for this sort of event so i can say for me personally i'm kind of surprised that they didn't go bigger um, well Scotiabank. one of the problems
2: is um at least for that week i believe michael buble has a concert one night and then the leafs have their home opener the other so for that particular week uh Scotiabank arena was not going to be an option for them and i think th- those are your your available options so well,
0: why does I- it have to be that week
2: well, I mean, AEW's running, you know, that's that's just their their touring schedule. I mean, yeah, you you could have, I guess, selected another week. But, I mean, you are talking about this is if you're looking to run in the fall, uh, there's a lot of conflicts at Scotiabank when it's you're full into the NBA and NHL season, uh, especially if you're looking for back-to-back nights uh, on top of that and other entertainment options too. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, Scotiabank, I think they could have run. Uh, another factor is what is the amount running – uh, Coca-Cola Coliseum versus Scotiabank Arena are like a few thousand extra tickets. Um, mm. is, is that offset at all by, you know, your, your rental cost? It's also the fact you're running two nights. That's, you don't have to pay for travel for your, your folks and you're going to get two gates instead of one. So there's, and it's one setup as, as well. So they're going to be doing, you know, probably two very sizable gates as opposed to just one, um, that they would do at Scotiabank.
0: Yeah, I just find it interesting because I feel like the possibility, especially for that first show, would have been for, for there for them to to you know go shoot for the moon. Personally, uh, speaking, but you know, like listen, they they could do this, and then they can come back with a big show, and I'm sure they would do just as well.
2: I, w- uh, I would say like if it. they sold out both nights, I would say the prospect of doing a much larger show in in the next year, you would think that that would that would grow exponentially,
0: perhaps. Yeah,
2: so that is a that will be an interesting on sale to watch. Uh, August twenty sixth again is when uh, tickets go on sale. Let's focus on some WWE stories, and they announced yeah, on
0: and just going back to that, I'm I'm a little surprised they wouldn't have waited for the Buffalo date to announce it because I, I imagine this might this might impact some Buffalo sales.
2: Uh, possible. I mean, they've, I think WrestleTix has the Buffalo show at over 4,000 now, but I guess, you know, with the on sale being August 26th, that's before the Buffalo show. And they probably wanted to, um, get the, get this on sale with, you know, that amount of weeks, uh, before it, do, do you suspect automatic sellout for night one at yes. least? Yeah. Oh yeah. I I think, I think so too. Um, and, and if they sell out both of them immediately, that's, that's huge. If they can move, you know, in the neighborhood of 16,000 tickets. That's, that sounds like a lot to move, but I think night one for sure is going to be a very, very heavy demand.
0: I think just the the speculators market already, um, you'd probably be moving that, that amount of, those amount of tickets, at least for the first night, second night, I I guess more of a question, but um, I I could see this being hot um, on on that end as well. Are you going to go to both? Night one and two. Yeah. I don't know about that, but at least one of them, Definitely, and maybe we'll try to plan something for us. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great
2: idea. Didn't even uh, think about that. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same as you. I'll I'll definitely go to one. We'll we'll see about both. But anyway, there you have it. WrestleMania 40. WrestleMania is turning the big 4-0 mm-hmm. in 2024. They are going to Lincoln Financial Field, the home of the Eagles in Philadelphia. It is going to be taking place on. April the 6th and 7th of 2024, and then the surrounding events of Friday Night SmackDown, the WWE Hall of Fame, and Raw will take place that weekend at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh Not isolating any, any dates for that, mainly if the Hall of Fame is going to just continue to be tacked on to SmackDown rather than be its own event, which, I mean, people are already... Um, assuming that you could make certainly a, an ECW inspired Hall of Fame that year, if mm-hmm. that is something that they believe they could market an entire Hall of Fame around, which I, I would think would be an automatic choice. It's it's always I- I- interesting to see like how ECW would be treated and who they would view as a, as a big enough headliner. Like, do they view a a Paul Heyman as such that headlines a Hall of Fame class?
0: You know, I feel like headliners are typically reserved for. Um like people that are wrestlers and wrestlers of, I suppose, a certain um, caliber. But I could certainly see Heyman being a part of a class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like who's who would you say are the biggest names to come out of ECW um, in in history?
2: I would say given uh, WWE's relationships with people that they would be looking at. I mean, they've already put in the Dudleys. So you would have, you know, your your Dreamers. Um, RVD. S- RVD's in. They've done our. He's already in? They did him. He was one of when they did the double class last year. He was in one of those.
0: I totally forgot about that. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, Who else? Sabu. Sabu is one you could put in. Uh, Sandman. Um, Dreamer to me would be the um, mm. the, the the one to uh, lean on. Which I mean, God bless. I don't think Tommy Dreamer is headlining the Hall of Fame class for WWE. No. No. So um we will see it's a long time away before a a hall of fame ceremony but two nights which is obviously going to be the uh the format moving forward and um yes kind of just uh just threw out a press release today they didn't do like the ceremonial like press conference in the city to make that make the big announcement
0: i feel like now is a terrible time for a press conference of any sort valid yes no. valid um
2: so there you have it philadelphia uh two nights We will see. I've never been to Philadelphia, to be quite
0: honest. Me neither, actually. It is, it might be a bit of a draw. It's only eight hours away.
2: Yeah. Philadelphia is, uh, and what's, what's also interesting is that, um, Philadelphia, it's, it is a state that, that does require like a commission oversight on Hmm. like the independent level and, Mm. I have to definitely like brush up on, um, you know, the, the licensing requirements and stuff like that. But also it becomes the obvious question of like the secondary venues for independents. And, you know, you have the 2300 arena there, but, uh, I'm sure. Plenty of people now uh, staking out venues uh, to run in Philadelphia, which is, you know, you can also you could go out of state uh, as well beyond uh, Pennsylvania. But nonetheless, Mm -hmm. that is uh, the news on the on the WrestleMania front for 2024. So we have Inglewood, California, next year, and then Philadelphia. Okay, exciting. Yes, first time in 25 years WrestleMania has been in Philadelphia. Way. Yeah. What was the last one? Uh, It was the first. Yeah, fifteen. Fifteen, 15. the okay, first, yes. uh, the first Rock Austin. It yes. was it, it was a pretty bad show, to be quite mm. honest, from my my recollections. That was the one with uh, the Boss Man in the Hell in a Cell.
0: Mm. Classic.
2: Yeah, um, not so much. Uh, what else do we have? So, Seth Rollins and Riddle. Off of SummerSlam, WWE made the announcement that the match is postponed and they are using the the injury angle on Monday uh, as the reason for Riddle uh, being medically disqualified and uh, Fightful reported. And I was told the same. This is a kayfabe injury to Riddle. This was more a creative decision. And the match is being moved from SummerSlam. And I guess it's um, like I've heard Clash at the Castle is where this match could end up, presumably, um, unless they have a... a a different uh, direction for this but i mean it would somewhat make sense if you feel you don't want to do this match at SummerSlam, you would put it on the next big show but it sounds like this was just a creative decision and i guess that's why the angle was shot on monday because i mean if there was an injury um you wouldn't have seen physicality on monday and riddle did a match so just a yeah. line reason
0: it's an interesting one number one because the feud had already been built um and number 2 it's not like WWE to necessarily just kind of take matches off um for creative reasons now uh, is Seth Rollins going to appear it, it, like judging by his tweet it doesn't seem seem like he is is yeah, he going he, to he, wrestle
2: he put out a tweet, uh, apologizing to people that had paid, had bought a ticket, um, for SummerSlam, um, with this match promoted. And, you know, it, it was a totally out of character tweet, uh, from oh. Seth Rollins and just thanked the people for singing his song and ended it by saying, uh, maybe one day they'll hear you or something to that effect. And then Paul Levesque responded, I hear you. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, there's there was speculation immediately after the announcement that this was some sort of setup for some sort of surprise opponent for Seth, but it doesn't look like that. I,
2: I mean, I've seen no this. advertising of Rollins for uh, SummerSlam. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I don't get the impression like none of this announcement included Rollins having a new opponent for SummerSlam. It sounded right. like just this match is being taken off. Uh, that's not to say they could not have a presence on the show in some form or fashion, but no match is being advertised now.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: So one last match for SummerSlam. Uh, Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics reporting that NXT's next premium live event will be Sunday, September the 4th in Orlando. Uh, Sunday, September 4th being the same day as AEW's All Out. And it would be the day after Clash at the Castle. So they have, um, that there is no, um, time, um, In in terms of uh, being reported uh, for the show, uh, I think it would be nuts to go head to head with the AEW pay-per-view. But you could see an afternoon event from NXT on the same day, which is going to make this just a our latest in a (laughs) long line of weekends that are just way too much.
0: Haven't they done this in the past, like run in an afternoon um, on the same weekend as a AEW show?
2: I I do remember the one where it was um, the NXT UK show was in the afternoon of an AEW show.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I would have to think it's an afternoon show. And if it's an afternoon show, it might bring a bit more attention to, uh, you know, your your typical uh, wrestling fan. If they're looking to make a day out of watching professional wrestling, let this be the (laughs) kickoff. Essentially, (laughs) after after
2: the day before, making a day out of watching like Clash at the Castle.
0: Well, listen, a whole 48 hours of professional wrestling, we can't get enough. Just every single day, there, there can be special premium
2: live events. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a, a, an interesting decision regardless, that they are uh, going uh, w- with, that, with that date uh, regardless. I mean, this is going to be in Orlando. It's really just up to the viewer at home if you want to watch an extra two and a half hours of professional wrestling. And frankly, there are plenty of people that will watch both.
0: Of course. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, you know, I, I'm curious to know what the booking is going to look like right now for, for NXT 2.0 under, I mean, a new regime up top. Could that trickle down to
2: 2.0? Yeah, well, it's a good segue because uh, Tuesday's number for NXT, they did 600,000 viewers and a 0.13 in the demo. The um, Viewership was up 2%, not a big difference from last week. And the demo was identical with last week so um women 18 to 49 had a had a bit of a bump to it but unlike raw uh, this one did not seem to benefit at all from all of the creative changes and people being curious and i would think nxt would be one where there would sort of be that curiosity factor uh, but didn't seem to be the case on tuesday night it was just a standard number
0: maybe at this point you know people realize that nxt 2.0 is is quite detached um um, or or watch Raw
2: and maybe we're realizing that the, the yeah. changes are not going to be immediate. Like I would say if you turned into Raw and it was a 180 style of show, I think there would have been some of that trickle down to NXT um, mm-hmm. with the idea like what changes uh, could be a front. But, um, you know, they and they did have a big boost on, on Monday for, for Raw. And I don't think that is all attributed to, you know, Rey Mysterio or being in the garden. I think the main thing was all of the all of these. Executive changes and Paul Levesque being uh, installed in that position. Um, w- one thing that was, uh, kind of odd was in, in Canada, uh, NXC did 38,000 viewers, which is not like a, an odd number that they did. It was down a bit from last week, but in the, in the demo and in Canada, the main demo is 25 to 54. So that's why I always cite that demo in Canada. They only did 4,000 people in the demo. And that is an unheard of low figure of, uh, 25 to 54, uh, that watched this show. So th- of the viewership, it was much, much older, uh, that watched. And I don't know what the explanation was. Like they did 22,000 last week for comparison purposes.
0: And there's a big curling match or something.
2: I don't know what was you going on. They've gone against everything. NXT's gone against everything. And I can never recall such a low number. Like I, I hmm. have no idea about that. Raw on Monday did a 1,901,000 viewers and a 0.5 in the demo, um, up 8% in viewers, up 7% in the demo from uh, the week before, um, very, very strong viewership, especially in the first two hours. They topped 2 million in the, in the first hour, uh, in 50 plus, they did a 1.0, uh, in that particular demo, um, there was a loss of fifteen percent viewers throughout the show, thirteen percent in the demo. But I mean, number one on cable by a landslide. I think the next highest was a point three zero, so a commanding lead of the the cable numbers, and um, especially for two hours, um, held up very high. And I saw that clip going around that everyone's uh, watching when Paul Levesque was on the Steve Austin podcast, and they, mm-hmm. they they've isolated the clip where he said, "If I could make one change, it would be Raw going to two hours." and I'm sure that there are people that are thinking, man, now he can just move yeah. raw to two hours. Guys, there is no prayer of this happening. Um, not now, not in these negotiations. Like you've brought this point up way, and it's the perfect one. This would be the equivalent. Uh, if you looked at this as like each hour was its own show, which is how it's broken up, you'd be eliminating the third largest cable show on a Monday night and not to mention that that revenue like there's no way usa wants to lose that third hour there's no way wwe wants to lose an hour worth that value as they go into these renegotiations like i can't say there's a hundred percent no chance of raw ever going back to two hours but god is it slim to none of raw ever going back to two hours but it seems like there is this hope uh because
0: paul Levec said it uh seven years ago well, first of all, I don't ever recall making that point, but I thank you for attributing it, it to me. Um,
2: you, you've mentioned that. before the fact that when we talk about the third hour, <laughs> it's still beating everything else non-football
0: related. I will, I will take full credit. Yes. I remember yeah. all your great points. You know, um, of course, like he is purely an, a head of talent relations and he's also the head of creative. That this not is make... not his domain in the least. You're right. No, but of course, his wife. Yes, it, it is potentially in charge of a, of a decision like that. But um, co-CEO is a Nikon. And overall, this is still a publicly traded company. And the bottom line is how much money this product makes, not how watchable the third hour is, not how watchable perhaps. Um, ultimately, yes. I mean, if, if people are turning out in droves, then maybe, but they're not turning out in droves. It's still winning the night, even it's the a- third hour. Like so. even, even if USA Network
2: like valued this property so high that from 265 million, which is the average annual value for raw, they came in these renegotiations and said, we will give you 300 million just for the two hours. Hmm. Well, then the natural reaction is, well, how about you give us 400 million and we'll give you the three hours? Like your, your valuation of that third hour is huge. There hmm. would be n- neither side is incentivized to walk away from that other than for, you know viewership satisfaction, which is uh like that that's just not a meaningful enough reason that it this should third hour. be
0: it really should be mm. but for for this company and i, I think the people that they have to the answer to um maybe it's a different game
2: there's no way anyone on those sides could could justify that that move and <laughs> if it's if it's viewer if it's viewer friction that you are creating with this and and you could probably make a pretty compelling argument that that third hour has eroded the audience at a faster rate than the loss of just cable homes has. That's certainly an argument, but it is offset by the the financial incentive to have that third hour. But anyway, you can
0: argue like the erosion would have taken place even if this was a two hour show because of the quality of the show. Um, I'm not going to say that three hours doesn't hurt things, but I mean, even at one and a half hours, like the type of show that we've been getting for the past five years, I, I don't think would have done, done it any favors.
2: Um, those were the, uh, the, the ratings notes. And, uh, just before we get into dynamite, um, we put up our latest G one climax show today, going through day number seven and our next G one podcast will come out Sunday night with myself and Karen Peterson and just seven days in way. Um, what what have your thoughts been of the tournament any any particular standouts in terms of uh, performers um what have you thought of the ma- of the, t- the tournament almost 2 weeks in now
0: you know this has been a a different G1 in that um it, it, they've been doing four blocks instead of two so i would say it's been a bit of a slower start as far as like storylines go because not everybody's even had their matches yet so um i can't really speak so much about like the math involved in the booking for instance but uh in terms of quality of the matches i i think what always stands out to me about the g1 is that for the most part you're going to get everybody's best efforts especially the new debuts you know especially people who have been trying for years to get into this g1 and for me that includes david finley who uh yesterday had a hell awesome, of a man. match against Juice Robinson. You know, these are former tag team partners and uh they got to face each other for the first time after Juice turned heel and God did David Finley like impress. And so did Juice. But, you know, for me, this was like Finley's real breakout match on a, on a big stage. Uh, the the cloud crowds have not been as much of a factor for me. You know, like once I watch the G1, I'm kind of locked in. The only exception being comedy matches involving Toriano that has not worked out very well in front of a cloud crowd to me, but, um, yeah, that was, uh, the Finley, the Finley match was, was a, was a standout to me. Um, uh, Kenta ha- had a great match against, uh, on Zach. that first night. Zach, that was yep. tremendous as well. So, F- Fantasmo
2: uh, and Osprey, I would, I would put in the, the upper echelon as well. Ishii's had mm-hmm. some, some really good performances, uh, with, with Taichi. And, uh, today he had, who did he face
0: today? He had, uh, um, oh God, geez, I should have. Tamatanga. 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 Yes, yeah. that was the main event today. Yeah, uh, today was was interesting in that like I, I've seen some unanimous unanimous praise for maybe some of the matches, but then I've seen like some wildly varied um, recommendations as well, including Mark Bucklede, who really seemed to enjoy Toriano versus sorry Udo versus Will Ospreay, a match that you and I were not that fond of. Eric, McCart- I, I liked it a lot more than, than than you did,
2: but um, yeah, it was uh. <laughs> You know, it depends, I think, if you're viewing this on a, on a Ujiro scale or an Osprey scale. Like, I don't think this Perhaps. is going to be uh, a memorable Will Osprey G1 match this season, but, uh, I think it will be a more memorable Ujiro match. And they got a really nice near fall spot out of it that, uh, with the satellite DDT.
0: Eric Marcotte in the, in the, uh, Discord had, had a lot of big praise for Goto versus Aaron Hanare as well. So, okay. um, some pretty, you know, varied, varied viewings of it. So if you're following it, uh, you can catch up this weekend with our post shows and do, Catch up with the post-wrestling contest listener standings to see where you rank and to see if any of us can take down RandoBot2000, who sits atop the leaderboard with Eric Marcotte, um, but nonetheless beating all of us humans.
2: Yes, and we will have a G1 podcast right through the end of the tournament through August the 18th. So if you are thinking of jumping on board for the conclusion of the tournament, postwrestlingcafe.com, any tier you join gets you access to all of the podcasts, and we will be back on Sunday night, myself and Karen reviewing both shows from Nagoya this weekend, uh, taking place Saturday and Sunday. And the final uh, plug for the cafe is that Thursday, we will be live at 1 p.m. Eastern time with the Ask Away Mailbag Show, and you can get in your questions uh before one eastern on thursday at forum.postwrestling.com a uh, double double ice cap and espresso members uh will have the chance to call in and you can ask your own questions
0: you can really ask away you can yeah and everybody who's a patron will be able to watch live that's a really nice gesture that's right yeah just Kay. decided yeah
2: uh so all patrons can uh, tune in live Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We'll mm-hmm. also have uh, rewind to SmackDown on Friday night and then uh, SummerSlam Saturday night. It is the, the season finale of waiting. He will be joining us minutes after SummerSlam in Nashville, so we'll go through that whole card. And then UFC 277 post show is Sunday at 2 Eastern with Phil and Eric.
0: Hey, one last plug here because I forgot to mention earlier, but Up Next Summer is taking place this weekend, I believe.
2: <laughs> it's taking place on Sunday. Sunday
1: yes
0: okay yes. there you go yeah those guys uh, our friends at up next will be watching I believe live streaming Ric Flair's la- la- they'll be watching along with Ric Flair's last match so you guys can do that and then join in on up next summer as well twitch.tv slash up podcast
2: all right Dynamite time from the DCU Center in Worcester, Massachusetts on Wednesday night. Uh, we had Jim Ross, Excalibur, and Taz on commentary for the whole two hours.
0: Mm-hmm. So we were,
2: we were um, uh, I wouldn't say back to the regular team because you, uh, you did have Taz in there, but this was Jim Ross for uh, all two hours of the show as opposed to what we've been seeing the last month where it's been hour two and then doing Rampage.
0: Yeah, have we? Does this mean we've stopped the what feels like it was it was an experiment now with having JR do the mid show entrance and calling the rest of the, the the match? Sorry, the show.
2: Well, I mean, if the idea was that. Jim Ross was going to boost numbers on Rampage. I mean, that didn't really bear itself out. Um, they, they did do their best demo number last week since April. Um, but you know, Rampage overall, like their numbers have been in kind of just a holding pattern. Um, and they haven't had the big bounce back since the playoffs ended. I don't know if Jim Ross calling Rampage was going to do that, but that did seem like that was one of the, the thoughts was putting Jim Ross on Rampage for that reason to just put more attention on Rampage. But um, I I would honestly believe if you're someone that just watches Dynamite, I don't know if you'd even be aware that they've been doing that for the past month. Perhaps not. Like if Jim Ross is a draw for you on Friday night, um, it's to my recollection, they've never mentioned that on Dynamite.
0: Personally, like unless it's punk being announced for like a special appearance or on commentary or something, I I don't know if anybody would, would make that much of a difference as on, on commentary. Um, and for me, it almost felt like this whole move was more of a way to put Taz up onto Dynamite than anything else, and it looks like he's staying. We opened up with John Moxley
2: and Roosh for the AEW interim championship. Regal joins commentary and he is over the moon that Brian Danielson is back tonight. And what are we talking about now? Five men on commentary. Is this it? Like sometimes six. Everybody's welcome <laughs> here. I mean, they could have got Andrade out here. I mean, just just pull up a chair. If you have no. access to a chair, join us on commentary. <laughs> the best sign of the night was this guy facing the hard camera who had a sign that read, I'm here to see Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and Neil Park. <laughs> Dude, I thought take that on is on John most- Moxley? <laughs> to take Those on- the. Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought that was a very, very clever sign. Very clever. Whoever, whoever came up with that one, you were the winner. Moxley gets busted open early, and Roosh is just—I mean, my God—just rubbing this blood all over himself, like no, no care in the world. Um, Moxley responds
0: with a. I have to say, like I know, I know the whole Blackpool Combat Club. I, like I know AEW in general. Like this whole like you could do blood. I understand. I. I just remember like when COVID was going on and the pandemic was going on. And then, John, you and I were like, oh, they're never going to do the like, you know, people licking blood again.
2: I remember a spot, (laughs) maybe the first week that they had the wrestler's ringside. And I think it was the butcher was on the floor. And Colt Cabana reached his hand over and just wiped his sweaty back. And I was like, oh my God. I yeah. just thought that was yeah. like the craziest thing to be doing here, week one of the pandemic, and now we're <laughs> we're just watching guys with like bleeding yeah. out here, rub it into your mouth. Yeah. Let's shoot out snot rockets at each other. Yeah. I mean, let's just all all communicable diseases be damned. Let's well, just
0: listen. These are, these are people's freedoms. These are people's rights, man. <laughs> this is listen, my man. I I get now want, wanting to put put your mask on. It's whatever. It's fine. The freedom to lick a stranger's blood is a right I'm willing to give up for the rest of my life. I thought I th- both instances of this I thought were gross on this show. Yeah, Wow. Well,
2: this is someone who's going for his fourth shot tomorrow, so that—that's my perspective. <laughs> thanks. Ah, uh, so uh, Moxie hits a big dive. The heat here was tremendous, and Roosh did play a really great heel, just you know, antagonizing the crowd and. Like, his heel mannerisms are are very strong stuff. He Mm -hmm. pulls up on the bull's horns just to swipe Moxie with his boot, does the tranquilo pose. We come back, and... Andrade comes down, knocking Moxley off the turnbuckle as Jose is distracting referee Paul Turner. And it leads to Phoenix, Penta, and Abrahantas running down and chasing off Andrade into the crowd. And they were never to be seen again. The bull's horns is stopped with a lariat, straight jacket pile driver by Rouche, But Regal explains why Moxley can kick out. It's that Blackpool Combat Club method of turning the head on the pile driver that they've all learned. Yeah. Why give that secret away? Damn. Maybe that's how Road Warrior Hawk no-sold those pile drivers like from Jerry Lawler all those times. I mean, he just popped up because he <laughs> was ahead of the
0: game. He was turning his head. He was an, a, a, an originator. I like it. I, I really like it. You know, like uh, Regal on commentary has been fantastic. Number one on, on, on this particular show was speaking about his time as like a bit of a talent scout as part of a you know the performance center and uh, talked about having seen rush for many years and at one point was going to offer rush uh, rush i'm sorry um uh, a, a job at the wWE before his former employers deemed him too violent to to graphic or something like that i love that you know sliding in these little things and commentary it shows that he is uh very capable as a commentator first of all and also as a in-story coach you know knowing full well what all these opponents have to offer
2: yes i guess you could say they rush to the conclusions
0: you could say that yes i could
2: he misses the bull's horns and Moxley hits the death rider, but Roosh kicks out and Moxley goes to the rear naked choke, transitions to the Bulldog and submits Roosh in 13 minutes and 56 seconds. I uh, gave Roosh a lot here kicking out of the death yeah. rider. I love the transition at the end. And man, this crowd was, this crowd was awesome. Um, oh, Worcester, fantastic. Worcester is, uh, the city where, was that that all time legendary pop when when mankind won the WWF title for the first time and Austin comes out? It's a it's a legendary clip, but that was in Worcester too. So I mean they uh they, they have some history behind them. But I, I just thought this crowd they were tremendous uh, throughout this show, especially bookending the show with this in the main event.
0: Well, they had great reason to be because they got to see some fantastic wrestling, and it started the, the night off with with this particular match. This match was excellent. It was this, this was a great of- week for Roosh. Full of great intensity right off the bat, as usual with Mox matches. But man, did like Roos bring it as the opposition here on probably the biggest you know stage of his career up until this point. The Dragon Lee match uh, up until that match was Roos's best outing in AEW. But here he carried on that tremendous momentum and that tremendous like performance with uh, I, for me a performance that even topped on Saturdays, you know uh showcasing this time his abilities on a national stage. So it's two performances now we have with Rouge, and uh really impressing. Arguably stealing the show for a lot of people, I'm sure, on um Saturday, you know, uh maybe maybe discounting the main event. But Rouge, I think right now with his stable with Andrade, like all of a sudden they feel really hot. Much in the same way like uh Brody King and Malachi Black have really upped you know the House of Black stock with two two guys that are really on the map now. Roosh and Andrade are both really on the map. I thought this match was great. Chris
2: Jericho comes out with uh, Moxley still in the ring, and he's accompanied by Angelo Parker, Sammy Guevara, Ty Conti, and the newest member of the Jericho Appreciation Society, Anna J. And Jericho is sporting- Anna J. A. S. Anna J. A. S. As she would identify herself. Jericho's got the broken nose. He's got a black eye. Um, just the effects of the barbed wire everywhere match last week. And he congratulates Moxley says that Garcia is going to kick Danielson's head in and finish the job tonight while Guevara is going to annihilate Dante Martin. Anna called for an opportunity last week and she stepped up and says that she is the new Anna J a S she is the sexiest and the toughest and I'll choke you out and I'll choke you out and I'll choke you out. And she's just, going crazy here Jericho starts screaming about his injuries last week this whole place is just chanting for Eddie Kingston and Jericho says he's going to beat John Moxley because after two and a half years he is demanding his rematch for the title and he wants it in two weeks at Quake by the Lake in Minneapolis and he will become the first two-time Le champion
0: Quake by the Lake um, it's kind of up there with like anarchy in the arena as I guess, I don't know, um an okay. <laughs> it's fine. I like the idea that they just, you know, they they like to title all of these different shows. What can you come up with one for Toronto? Um um um
2: Kicks in the 6. <laughs> <laughs> Super Kicks in the 6.
0: Oh god. Is that any better than Quake by the Lake anyway?
2: Mistake cool. by the Lake. Yes. Um Yeah, if if Jericho is going to win this interim title to become a two time champion, would Moxley not already be a two time champion?
0: Uh, yeah, he would. I I I think he can you can you claim that like in the UFC if you win an interim championship, are you two time champ or like does that get added in?
2: No, not really. Not until it becomes the official title. But Jericho said he's going to beat Moxley and become the first two time champion.
0: Well, maybe he's jumping ahead. You know, he he's saying he's going to beat Mox and then beat Punk.
2: Okay. Okay. He's getting ahead of himself. Yeah. Moxley hates this sports entertainment bullshit. You can take your interim and shove it up your ass. So th- that was like a notable line that he views himself as the real champion now. Oh, yeah. And th- and that's great. Like kind of j- just building for later when <laughs> Punk does come back. It says he used to look up to Jericho and in his own way, he is the goat. But then you hit me with Mitch the potted plant. No, he did not say that. He (laughs) calls all his current stuff pathetic. This is not the sports entertainment championship. I accept your challenge, but I don't want the wizard or le champion, but the guy from the VHS tapes I watched from the super Jacob and the Lionheart, it's going to be John Moxley versus the last survivor of the heart dungeon.
0: That's right.
2: Yeah, it's a. Kind of it, it was kind of Heart Dungeon adjacent with Jericho and Lance. It Bruce was like Hart's
0: the, Heart Dungeon, okay. It was the like, Bruce Heart Dungeon.
2: Yeah, I think it was like, you know, uh the Heart brothers that that were involved here. Maybe uh but, but there you have it. So so two weeks from now, Moxley and Jericho, which is
0: a very big match for television. It is, yeah. And I think a perfect match to make for TV because Mox versus Jericho is something we've seen before. It's not one I think they'll they're likely to go to on a pay-per-view anytime soon. We've seen Mox versus Jericho, but we've never seen Mox versus Lionheart Chris Jericho. Um Chris Jericho is the king of reinvention, of course, and sometimes reinventing means going back to the past. Even if it's just an outfit change. Um, this totally refreshes my interest in seeing what it's going to look like. How is he going to you know, like what 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 is this distinctive about Lionheart Chris Jericho? Um
2: A Cana- a heavy Canadian accent that he has shed over really? the
0: years. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. I'll tell you, know, John Moxley. That's <laughs> gonna sound like Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> he's got the thickest Canadian accent I've ever heard, like of anybody on. A Maybe it's
2: gonna game. be the guy from from the promo picture from the first ever Canadian barbed wire match against Beef Wellington. Maybe, Maybe. that Jericho is what
0: he's uh, looking for here. Um, maybe. I'm looking forward to this just just simply because uh, I want to see what Jericho does differently. What how does he wrestle differently, you know? He's certainly of the size right now that ma- makes him look more like the Lionheart, uh like his his twenty-year-old self than he probably has in many years. So uh, I'm excited for that. This was also our chance to see Anna J for the first time don her heel persona. And you know, I'm not completely sold on it simply because I felt like you had a rare case with her of a baby face that was to me more over than the push that she actually had. And so I felt like there was a lot more to do with her as a babyface, especially in a feud with Ty Conti with a proper breakup with the dark order. We just kind of advanced through all of that to get to where we are right now. Then we had the announcement
2: AEW world trios championship. It's coming. What is coming a tournament and the finals will take place at all out. And we would get an angle later in the show that kind of, uh, hinted towards, uh, members of this tournament, but, uh, Trios championship, like this was one we knew it was coming. It was just a question of when they were coming.
0: Yeah. Yep. And Trios.
2: would probably, and it is worth noting that the last time Tony Khan was asked about these, he did say that he would like to hold off on them till Kenny Omega's ready to come back to go with the, with the Trios title. So. We will see if that, if one ties in with the other.
0: They also advertise the undisputed era coming back next week. The undisputed elite way. I'm sorry. Undisputed elite. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, maybe they're finally going to build to that.
2: Shivani is with uh, Dante Martin and he says, Sammy Guevara is taking too many vacations while I'm here working every single week. And to counter Ty Conti, he's bringing in sky blue who walks into the shot and will be in his corner later on in the night. I have always thought that Dante Martin, like his, his speaking has been a real uh, tough aspect of his game. Um, I thought he sounded a lot better here, like in the brief time that he had. And I thought that that also kind of mirrored itself in the match where you saw a lot more kind of mannerisms from Dante.
0: Like it was a noticeable improvement in, in that department for the guy. No, he's clearly been addressing that. You know, I don't know if you. Yeah, I would call it a weakness because his in-ring is so high. You know, it's very clear to everybody watching that that's the only element of his that's been missing. It's it's a very very similar story with Jungle Boy, and on this episode, you saw both of them take advances in terms of uh, their their charisma, really.
2: Ricky Starks against Danhausen for the FTW Championship. We got this elaborate feature on Ricky Starks at the beginning with this uh, voiceover, um, very very rock esque uh, with, with Ricky Starks, and. Then we go right into the match and Danhausen teases doing Ricky Starks pose uh and then going for the curse but gets kicked down. Danhausen uses a Northern Lights but Starks kicks out. There's a roll up for a 2. Starks ducks and spears him winning the match in a minute 30 uh but he's holding on to his neck and then Starks says that Danhausen isn't absolute And he calls for another challenger, and the whole place is chanting Hook. So when his music plays, this place went wild. And Hook walks out, and he's got on the orange trunks. And Taz is stating, this is a bit surreal for me. And this crowd is just losing it here for Hook. And Hook attacks him, drops Ricky on his neck. There's a back suplex by Starks, but then a hip toss attempt. Hook lands on his feet. Starks goes for the spear. And the Rochambeau, he lifts him up, but Hook turns it into red rum. And as he takes Ricky down to the mat, he taps out. Dude, this arena exploded. A minute 32. Hook wins the FTW title. They fist bumped afterwards and hook just leaves with the title and we go to break. And when they came back, this was a rarity for AEW. They replayed the finish, which I thought was a nice touch to just uh, repeat this. Um, I thought, I thought this turned out
0: tremendously. Well, the whole thing was fantastic. And this was, you know, you're, you're still going to keep going, but this was in the midst of what felt like a half hour of Ricky Starks, And, and it was
2: really only like 10, 10, 11 minutes. It was not super long, but Everything to me was like th- this. This chunk was just um, the Ricky Stark show, and and
0: he came off great. I thought they got a lot accomplished with Ricky Starks and all of Team Taz in these few minutes. Starting off with that excellent video. Anytime somebody gets a video that is that well done, you know that they're going to have a uh, you know a big, uh, just a big story or at least like something in store for them for for the future. It, it, and-
2: it felt like an NXT treatment of
0: uh, of a guy a rare compliment you know for for nxt they, they yeah nxt does tremendous jobs with their videos for the most part but you know they they gave it here to starks and you know first of all the dan Hazard match was really interesting booking for because we know the direction um that they're going to go here with ricky starks so to book him to beat a fan favorite I think required required some pretty creative uh, booking in order for, you know, the audience to not want to hate Ricky Stark so much. And they achieved that by, you know, um, showing uh, like giving him this what looked to be a pretty serious neck injury, of course, you know, uh, um, rekindling that that long term uh, reason why he was out for for so many months. This guy Um, can sell his neck for the rest of his career. Fantastic. We'll buy it. Absolutely. So they had Starks basically, you know, wanting to toy with Danhausen a little bit to, to start. But then Danhausen actually manages to injure the neck inadvertently, not necessarily by his doing, but he ran into him into, he ran into the turnbuckle. And then at that point, he's like, I'm done playing around. I want to end this match, goes for the spear, ends it, continues to sell the neck, which gives me some, you know, sympath- sympathy towards him, but also, of course, sets him up for the title change, um, gives, giving him a bit of an out. Um, And then from that point on, it was just like kind of total babyface performance here from Ricky Starks uh, drops the belt with a lot of humility, shakes Hook's hand afterwards for Taz. I mean, yes, on commentary, he's probably playing a bit of a character, but I have to imagine he he must have felt a a strong level of emotion here. You know, as he mentioned on commentary, Hook grew up looking at that title belt in their home, and now he's being officially recognized as a champion, winning it on national TV here. So I'm sure it was a wonderful moment for all of them. And everybody really advances.
2: <laughs> imagine that, like, two-year-old. Uh, what, what does FTW stand for, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> it means, for the win. It means, means fuck the world. <laughs> yeah. So Shivani is with Starks and Hobbs in the ring after the break. And uh, sorry, this is, this is uh, a- after the fact. So Starks is, is standing there with Hobbs. And it's Shivani who points out you're the one who wanted the second match. And you got it stark says i'm no stranger to losing and i'm okay with that i was given that title when people thought it was a noose and i turned it into a tie i brought that title back to prominence which taz says fact i I don't know quite about that it was a great promo i don't know if it was completely factual here it's been
0: a good three weeks for the ftw title beyond that it's been pretty obscure i don't know if it's necessarily that high up in prominence but on hook maybe yeah, we, we,
2: will, we will see, but uh, the facts be damned here. Uh, he deserves to be able to talk for more than 40 seconds, which... It's been this recurring thing about this guy just want like him and Hobbs the whole thing was we just want a chance because we know we're better and then he brings up this promo about I will, I just want more than 40 seconds it actually gives a logic as to why he would make this impromptu challenge like here's this guy oh, who gets this yeah. li, this tiny opportunity on television and he wants to He wants to lengthen it as much as possible because of this God-given talent he wants to just show everybody. It Mm -hmm. actually gave a reason to make this challenge. So he was told to be patient, but his time will come. He's sick of hearing that time. My time was last year. My time was last month. And my time was now. And it's just been a string of bad timing. And mid-sentence, Hobbs waffles this guy. This came out of nowhere. He drops Starks. The whole crowd is stunned. And he hits a spine buster. This was a kind of a swerve that was you did not see coming. But at the end, it was one where you could you could understand it at, at the end of it all, it sets up a huge angle. Now with these two, I really thought like these, whatever the exact length was from the moment Ricky starts and that video aired to this angle at the end. Uh, this to me was the best night of Ricky Stark's AEW run.
0: And by extension, um, team Taz, the best night of team Taz, let's just say it, you know, sure. and it could be the end and, and tying Taz. it in with hook. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Everybody in team Taz leveled up. Coming out of this, you had Hook, you know, uh, winning his first singles championship. You had Starks dropping the FTW title, but clearly moving on to something bigger. He got the video treatment. He got he cut the pro. He cut an amazing promo. Promo of the show. This is really strong. He was incredible. And like, if it wasn't clear enough, like he's a top player, you know, in the future, uh, completely proves it here, you know, in, in 15 minutes, uh, just so incredibly versatile and so good at every single aspect of all of this. So he moves up, Hobbs finally steps out of you know um, not having a mouthpiece now in Ricky Starks, and I wonder if he's even going to have Taz, because Taz on commentary was acting shocked and surprised by Hobbs's actions. So is Taz going to turn babyface to join with what looks to be Hook and Ricky Starks both as babyfaces now? Is Team Taz done? You know what what's going on? Uh, These are all interesting questions. Everybody has some story to to move on for from this, and everybody has leveled up
2: most of all, you're interested in yeah. all those those follow-up questions as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought this was just great, all, all of this stuff, and I'm sure when you were looking at this lineup today, Ricky starts against Danhausen, you did not see all these permutations, nor did it on its own probably jump out at you. I mean, probably fun match, but not anything of substance, and it turned into be something very significant on the show.
0: Yeah, many people did call the you know hook showing up after Danhausen w- was getting squashed thing. Um, I didn't think it would lead to a Hobbs uh, uh turn on the same night, you know, coming out of it all too. So that was a really great, like it, it was pretty good setup, you know, the, all in all. Do you feel like the, the whole separation between Hook and Danhausen was, was kept that way in order to make this a surprise? Like, w- cause we still haven't really had much resolution for Dan H- Hookhausen and, and they're just kind of unexplained.
2: Yeah, to yeah. be quite yeah. honest, like I, I hope this is kind of the end of Hook and Danhausen. I've never liked the combination all that much, but I think it served its purpose here because when Ricky Starks made the call out, this whole arena wanted Hook and they were led in that direction and you got it. And so so it paid off in that sense. And I don't mind having like, You know, every now and then they maybe have some affiliation, but I I prefer the two to be separate at this point. I didn't think it really enhanced Hook all that much, and I would much rather see him go off into this direction now with this FTW title and less of like the the ironic friendship between the two.
0: Yeah, I could do without the backstage skits. I could do without backstage skits for Hook, period, because they've all been awful. This made him look cool. Just coming out, winning, getting the fuck out of there. Everything that they've tried to do with, like, him and Lexi, I think, has been pretty cringeworthy. But I, I wouldn't mind, like, him coming to Danhausen's rescue from time to time. You know, like, maybe always looking after him in some way. So, I'll tell you, though, um, I really wish that they let this moment breathe after, like, the turn from Hobbs here. Because, like... It's just like this is the most breathing you get on Dynamite way. Oh, God. Like I was suffocated by this because like Hobbs turns. He looked great with that snarl. Great beat down. And then let's go to the Acclaimed uh, with their uh, new uh, ass cream rap. Yeah, the Acclaimed did
2: a promo on the gun club. So what I took from this is that they're eventually going to have a match with the gun club. There's going to be a stipulation attached to it. And if you tune in Friday, we're going to have a music video to explain what kind of match we're going to have
0: yes okay so th- those are multiple steps uh yes mm-hmm. i mean it deserves build and like you know we okay. had the rap battle last week we're gonna get the music video this week so yeah yeah it makes sense what about a contract well come on you had a rap battle you know don't need contracts after that It's verbal commitment
2: Sammy Guevara against Dante Martin. Dante is a mocking Guevara doing his own pose on the mat and then goes for a springboard and backflips off the top rope to catch Guevara sliding into the ring. Guevara goes to leave with Conti and Dante attacks, leading to a somersault dive off the stage. We go through the break and Dante's springboard high cross is met with a leaping knee from Guevara on the floor, uh, standing Spanish fly in the, in the ring by, uh, by Guevara onto Dante, and then we see a double springboard get, that gets stopped by Guevara. He lands a suplex, but Dante lands on his feet, and then Ty Conti starts screaming at Dante, who misses the nose dive, and this leads to Guevara hitting the double springboard cutter and the GTH in eight minutes forty-eight
0: seconds. This was an excellent match too. You know, like this is probably going to get lost in, in, in the midst of this entire show because it was a very high quality show and pretty high in star power as well. But this match was excellent. It was a fantastic example of this sort of high flying style with two of the best who are able to do it. Great acrobatics. Um, Like you mentioned earlier, John, I thought Martin in this match showed a lot more charisma and yep. a lot more well-roundedness here. Some great selling as well. You know, so, so you add in the elements with Sky Blue and Ty Conti and Anna Jade and, and Ruby Soho in there. This was a segment that I thought achieved a whole lot. And to me, didn't feel messy.
2: They continued the attack on, uh, on Dante Martin and sky blue blocks Guevara from coming off the turnbuckle. So Anna J runs down attacking sky blue with Ty Conti joining in. And eventually they are chased off by the returning Ruby Soho, Eddie Kingston and Ortiz. And this crowd, they were just so happy to see Eddie Kingston. They're just going nuts for this guy. And (laughs) <laughs> then Jim Ross mentions it'll be Ruby Soho taking on Anna J on Rampage, which they had not announced yet. So Excalibur says... Uh, I don't know if that's official yet, JR, but that's, uh, that's the locker room scuttlebutt and they tried to play it off. Like, yeah, that since we just watched the attack uh, about 10 seconds ago, those are the rumors that are going on in the locker room that this Friday on rampage, we're going to see Ruby against Anna J. We, we couldn't let this one just slip until the official announcement in an hour.
0: It was fun to see like the announcers try to scramble. Cause like Taz was like, oh yeah, that was a rumor I heard too, JR. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's possible that the, 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 there were rumors before, and and this this At that point, it's like it's happening on Friday.
2: Okay, he's announced it before the the graphic comes off. I mean, it's not who cares. Funny. Shivani's with Daniel Garcia. Th- this guy is such an underrated promo. I I think yeah. he's such a great promo as like this dyed-in-the-wool like now sports entertainment enthusiast, and he yeah. just like he's a really underrated promo. He hasn't heard about uh, Brian Danielson for several weeks and asks asks him, have you been keeping sharp all of these weeks or have you been working on your garden with your kids and your family? (laughs) They're going to be calling Daniel Garcia the greatest technical sports entertainer in the game, which to me sounds like a nickname that like Michael Cole would have had to give like Kurt Angle back in like 2004. Yes. The greatest technical sports entertainer. And it's like they're finding the things that you know would have set, angered a WWE crowd of a generation ago. And he's yeah. like in touch with how can that work for this heel persona of mine? Like I I think this guy just has such a great mind for all this stuff. I'm very impressed with this individual.
0: Uh, he needs a name, like a nickname with alliteration in front like, you know, some something that you would like the dreadlock dynamo, some, something that, that bad that you would see on dot com in the previews. Yeah, that would be a great addition. Yeah. Uh, lethal
2: Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh are reacting...
0: The, the brutal Buffalonian.
2: The brutal Buffalonian? <laughs> Jesus oh, <fuck>. Christ. <laughs> Just with like a giant like a uh, headdress or something.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay, so we've got Lethal Dutt and Satnam Singh. They mentioned the loss to Samoa Joe, but Jay Lethal doesn't want to talk about it, which seemed to be the overall... um way that they were handling the entire ROH pay-per-view that no one wanted to talk about it on tonight's show
0: that is correct yeah no mention of FTR or the Briscoes Samoa Joe is still nowhere to be found you know he the man is did did we did we hear once that Claudio won the ROH title tonight I don't think they brought it up once I don't think so either unless Regal might have mentioned it on commentary but I don't recall you wouldn't have you you and I are taking notes and we cannot so the average person did not catch that I don't think you would have even known that that you to lot sorry you beat Garcia and not to say that's a the fact you needed to you know publicize so much on a show where Garcia's fading, facing in the main event but yeah like it felt very separated. I am not advocating
2: for them to cram more because they typically they they're not going to take more stuff out of here but at the same time like you've spent this time building it up like you would I, I do feel after a pay-per-view you do have to kind of react to what you missed and the ramifications of that event.
0: Well, it's at the point now where I wonder if, if there's more to it than, than like, if it's intentional or if they're, they're like, you know, really kind of like they were testing the limits of how much they could get away with pushing ROH. Like, I do wonder if there's sort of a distinction because it is owned by Tony Khan and not like it is technically a different company and a different contract perhaps. So I, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. It makes me suspicious.
2: I don't know where AEW ends and ROH begins. Like I understand like the ownership thing, but um yeah. it's yeah, it was it was just um it was just odd that you end this show like you would not have even thought of FTR and the Briscoes watching the show or anything. Mm-hmm. Like this was literally the only mention was Lethal saying, I don't want to talk about the loss to Joe. He said it was an illegal choke and he has unfinished business with the best friends and they shifted focus. They say we're real best friends. So then the best friends with Orange Cassidy walk in and challenge them to rampage, except Sanjay Dutt, because they state he doesn't have what it takes anymore. So Dutt gets all fired up, and he says it's going to be three on three. And then when they accept, he gets all upset at Lethal and Singh for letting him do that, because he's nowhere near ready for this on Rampage. So Sanjay Dutt will wrestle um, for the first time
0: in AEW. I looked up his cage match. He hasn't had a match since December of 2017. So this how long? Wow! Yeah, so this will either be um like a a a true coming out of retirement, or maybe it's a match where he just like gets on the apron and maybe gets in some 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 spots potentially. Uh, I hope it. I hope it's it's the former because I mean I'd love to see Dud you know actually coming back in wrestling, and maybe a little bit less of this. Coffee, whatever, whatever he's been drinking part of these promos. Cause this fan needs to chill. Uh, he's just like, his energy is just way too much. You,
2: you and I be- differ on, on Sanjay, oh, I get, I get a kick on
0: this guy. Shivani welcomes
2: jungle boy who comes out with his best bud Luchasaurus. And they replay the attack by Christian cage on June 15th with cage placing the leather jacket over top jungle boy and jungle boy comes out wearing the leather jacket. And Shivani asks him for his thoughts on this. And Jungle Boy is staring at the mic and he's looking all nervous. And you're thinking like, this is a really big promo he has to cut. And then all of a sudden he grabs this mic and calls Christian, the biggest pussy he's ever met in his entire life. And this crowd is just aghast at this man's uh, foul language. I've listened to your bullshit. You've spoken about my family. Now you're the most relevant you've ever been in your career. And He says that when I finally came back, you ran away like a coward. He mentioned the battle royal elimination last year and didn't think it would be that big of a deal to eliminate Christian, but realizes that Christian is strapped for cash because his wife divorced him and says, like all bad guys in movies, wearing turtlenecks with small pricks. And this crowd, number one, this crowd was impressed with just how quick the insults were coming. But the the announcers on like commentary were like, damn, this guy's on a roll. Cage explains that he needed a monster. But or sorry, Jungle Boy's explaining Cage needed a monster, but that monster is my best friend. And the only reason he protected you, Christian, was that so so no one else would get to you before I do. If you want to talk shit, talk shit because I can take it swing a chair at me, I can take it. And he goes to explain this story that three years ago, he was standing in a dirt hole with his uncle Dave, crying tears with the dirt turning to mud as he was digging his father's grave. And as he's explaining this, Christian interrupts on the screen. And there seemed to be a bit of a timing issue because Jungle Boy keeps going, and Christian starting his promo as well. But then they they got their, their timing uh, on cue here. And Christian goes to explain that Luchasaurus's future was full of gold and main events, but then you gave it up to remain Jungle Boy's lapdog. And I didn't run from you because I was scared. I ran because I was afraid of what I would do to you. Jungle Boy hasn't seen anything yet. And the next thing that I'm going to drape over you, instead of the leather jacket, it's going to be a body bag. So you can kick up some dirt and cozy up next to your dad. And you told me all your secrets. Now you're now I'm going to prey on your weakness. Mm-hmm. I thought Jungle Boy. Boy hit it out of the park for his portion. This was the most important promo he's ever cut. And he did a great job. This crowd was at the edge of their seat listening to this guy.
0: Yeah, I, you know, much much like we we spoke about with Dante Martin, um, I think the pressure is even higher on Jungle Boy because being positioned as one of the four or five pillars, um, I think most would agree that he's the lowest uh, in those rankings, and it's not because of his in ring. His in ring is fantastic. The thing that's been holding him back is his um, he's really not been very proven as a promo, or his charisma is also not necessarily proven. So this was his opportunity coming back. You know, with the relatively hot Christian program, to fire back, and fire back he did. Uh, he had some great material here, and you know the delivery I thought was very strong, um, full of passion. You know, and, and, and as he was entering that that whole thing, you know, talking about about his dad, it was like you knew the potential was there for for this to go even deeper. Uh, he had some great lines. You know, Christian, of course, like set the tone with just you know the being completely unfiltered with, with his uh, offense and Chris and jungle boy had to come back with, with some equal ammunition. And I thought he did. Um, I I wish the, I wish the interruption was actually just like a few seconds
2: later, because I don't feel he got enough of the story out for the audience that might not understand the the connection of what he was explaining. Uh, Because the part when he says like my father's
0: grave, like Christians literally,
2: he literally has interrupted him and is talking over him.
0: I felt like the point was made because, like three years ago, like what is the what is the what would be a significant moment in the man's life that you know most of us would be aware of?
2: I would have just liked like the part where he mentions digging my father's grave to have been clearly stated so everyone knows. It makes the interruption that much more impactful when you realize just how uh, serious this is. And there did just seem to be a lot of overlap for Mm. for a couple of seconds, but I mean that's that's a small thing. This was this was a really strong segment, and and I would say like this is.
0: I would imagine like this is your pay-per-view match. I would think so too. Um, we are what, six weeks out. Yeah. About quite that. a while still to, to get to. Um, and in your opinion, was the whole Luchasaurus aspect of it all, was this fully explained? So jungle boys reasoning was that they had uh Luchasaurus. Uh, he joined Christian because he was keeping Christian safe so that jungle boy could eventually beat him. Now we have not heard J- Luchasaurus speak in all of this. I also feel like there's still some subtle teasing of him possibly turning on Jungle Boy at, at the end of all of this. So I, I feel like that's still a, a, an unexplained element of of everything. What did you did you get that sense?
2: Um, I, I think that there's probably more that that they could play with with Luchasaurus. I mean, maybe he's a double agent. Maybe Jungle. Maybe he knows that Jungle Boy was there to protect. Uh, Christian, when Christian was actually using Luchasaurus to keep Jungle Boy protected so that Christian can get to him first.
0: 4D chess they're playing. Yeah. Possible. And Luchasaurus
2: Luchasaurus is going to take out both of them.
0: Uh, Yes. 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 Anyway, uh,
2: it was a good segment. Like it uh, it accomplished what it
0: needed to.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: We go to the Young Bucks and they tell Cutler they don't want to do this segment. And Cutler mentions the trio's championship being announced and that all their friends are gone, but he could be a great third wheel. And they just laugh this off that they would ever team with Cutler. And they walk around the corner into Hangman Page. And it's this very awkward running into your ex kind of moment. And they exchange birthday wishes for one another because today is Hangman's birthday. He shares a birthday with Paul Levesque. Which I thought was an easy joke that one of them would make, but no one did.
0: Um, And a a day off of Finn Balor's.
2: You're right. A day off of Finn Balor's and a day off Nick Jackson's because his is tomorrow. So everyone was – except for Matt. Matt had no birthday around this time, but – um, they wish each other happy birthdays, and then Matt goes to say that for the longest time we've wanted to talk to you. But right as he's about to spill his heart, the Dark Order runs up to wish Hangman a happy birthday. And I think this is going to be like like our slow, like did you uh, th- like this this slow message that they will eventually get to to Hangman Page? Um, but, happy birthday, is, happy With birthday, slow,
0: happy birthday wish the, well, the, way, the and, whole year.
2: Yeah, and tying this this whole thing together. I, I guess the tease here is the idea of Hangman teaming w- with the Young Bucks for the Trios yeah. Championship. Which, I mean, they're going to have to have a reconciliation really quick if you're starting a
0: tournament on TV. Maybe we won't get it. You know, um, maybe it'll be the Dark Order and Page taking on, or uh, uh, perhaps the Bucks with somebody else. But I'm salivating at this point with this tease because you know what? Vi- if
2: if if Kenny was coming back and he was. And it's the Young Bucks wanting to team with Hangman, but Hangman enters with the Dark Order, and this ends up as the finals, where you get the Bucks and Kenny against Hangman, and that's like your big story for the Trios Championship, and whoever his
0: partners Yeah, totally, because the reason I'm salivating is because we might be getting another chapter in this sort of trilogy of friendship tag team matches involving the Young Bucks. We had the Golden Lovers versus the Bucks. We had Kenny and Paige versus the Bucks. Both of them classics with Kenny... Being the one having to choose between his old friends in the Bucks and his lovers, or his new friends in Page and Kota Ibushi, both of those matches I remember very fondly. They were both my matches of the year. We might get a similar story now with Page and the Kenny role, having to choose between old friends and new friends. We know, like the Bucks and and, and, and Page, you know, can always deliver, but when they add that extra element of story and character motivation attached to it, like they they can become a potential classic. So I'm really excited for the rest of the story.
2: And the last thing Kenny said before his hiatus was after losing the title to Hangman, where the Bucks gave Hangman the nod, was Kenny saying that I haven't watched the match back. And so he comes back. We've got no streaming service, so I haven't watched that pay-per-view back, and I'm not paying for it on Fight TV. So Kenny is still not he doesn't know that the Bucks gave Hangman that signal to to end the match.
0: Ooh, okay. I'm tying that back in. Wasn't Lots that like two years now?
2: Yeah. It was full gear last year. So November.
0: Yeah. I'm yeah. I don't, we don't know the health status of Kenny Omega, but like, um, I just, I look forward anytime the elite get together, you know, um, to, 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 to build on this kind of long narrative that they, they've set up between page Kenny and the Bucks. Uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it.
2: And you could have like Cole and red dragon in this whole thing too. Like next week should set up like your trios, um, which it would seem like it's going to have a heavy elite involvement in this. Like you're going to have the Bucks in there. You're probably going to have Hangman with whatever and Cole, Red Dread, like that whole thing. Like it seems it's all designed for this story so those trio's belts. And it seems like everybody's starting to come back, mm-hmm. which is great. Tony niece and Mark Sterling against Swerve Strickland in a handicap match with Keith Lee banned from ringside. Uh, Sterling pulls at Swerve's hair which distracts him so Nice gets the advantage Um, Nice eventually gets knocked into the corner inadvertently tagging Sterling who stays out of the ring so they just continue with Nice in there And then there's a diving uppercut off the turnbuckle to the back of Nice. Swerve then traps Sterling in the ring, hitting him with the jumping kick. And Nice is too late to save. So Swerve pins Sterling in 644. And we cut to the back where Keith Lee had been watching the match. And he's laid out. And they pan up. And there is Josh Woods holding one of the tag titles and swerve sees this on the screen and gets attacked by Tony niece and woods and niece in separate locations are each holding tag titles. So that looks to be a, a new team, new client of Mark Sterling's, I guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing this means like woods might be signed on some sort of f- official basis, perhaps maybe, maybe not, but he's here to stay at least in, and- I feel like this was a match where, uh, you know, they they played with a very kind of classic heel manager, um, Bobby Heenan type of shtick, and I thought they did a pretty good job with Swerve showcasing a lot of his, you know, very um, unique looking offense. And uh, seems like we have a tag match. How's the Black promo?
2: Malachi Black explains that God and the Devil are the same thing, and we live in a world where we worship people for no reason. And Miro might call it redeeming. I call it balancing the uneven. And he will make it. So Miro sits on that throne and everyone kneels to him. Then Brody King has his business to take care of and addresses Darby Allen, where we got highlights of the attack at the San Diego Comic-Con, which was quite something going from like the religious overtones of Malachi Black to the Comic-Con. And the reason he is publicly attacking him is that uh, he will not stop until his casket drops. So he's issuing a challenge to Darby for a coffin match and asks what type of flowers Darby wants on his headstone. He's coming to kill the man.
0: Yeah, a lot of grave talk on, on this uh, episode of Dynamite here. Good promos from uh, the both of them. I mean, tonally, one, I think, was a bit more easy to understand than, than uh, the other. But like, I-, I wanted the
2: Malachi Black promo over the Brody King B-roll at comic-con yes
0: yes that would have been the, in hall h it's just the gods <laughs> and the devils i'd love for malachi black to recap the uh, marvel announcements in hall <laughs> h um so so is malachi black asking miro to join he's recruiting miro he's right. trying to recruit miro i ask because like I, I'm, I'm a little dumb you know john and i can't fully comprehend some of these malachi black promos uh as cool as they may sound so just looking for clarification
2: they do take some translation and maybe a second watch. I, I will give you that. Then they showed highlights of pack beating LJ Cleary on dark. And then the July 9th match with uh, Mio Yamashita beating Thunder Rosa um to set up the next match. So I do hope we get PAC back on regular programming at some point. I hope this is not our extent of seeing PAC now that he's got this title that we can watch him on
0: dark. Maybe the guy just likes being like, you know, in in Europe, in, in the UK and... Okay. Doesn't doesn't really, you know, he's happy. Well, maybe.
2: Thunder Rosa Miyu Yamashita rematch for the women's championship. Um, They battled on the edge of the apron, and there was a struggle by uh, Yamashita to lift Thunder Rosa, and then eventually swept her leg. Uh, Yamashita misses off the the, the apron and gets hit with a shotgun dropkick. They go through the brick. We see a stunner by Thunder Rosa, Northern Lights for a two-count, and then Yamashita catches her and lands a head kick on the top, wheelbarrow into a German suplex, and then hits the skull kick. And this thing just looked awesome. Great near fall. Thunder Rosa grabs the bottom Maybe you can even
0: call it a... Black spinning mash- back heel kick. <laughs> I was gonna say Black Mashita. Sh-
2: black Mashita. Uh, oh man. Black Mashita. <laughs> so, oh, that's that's great. Great uh, mashed up. Uh inside cr- <laughs> It's late. Uh Thunder Rosa goes for the inside cradle and Yamashita reverses it, which was the finish of the first match, but this time Thunder Rosa kicks out. There's a uh, spin kicks to Thunder Rosa. Yamasha's kicks were just they were tremendous here. Leaping knee by Thunder Rosa, and then a head kick by Thunder Rosa sets up the fire Thunder driver, and she wins in 10 minutes and two seconds.
0: And they they embraced afterward uh, with Thunder Rosa retaining. It was a match not without some blemishes, but I thought overall this was a really good match. And one where I can understand why Tony Khan would agree to showcase on his national TV show, without any sort of introduction to Yamashita, because he, you know she and and Thunder Rosa have fantastic chemistry with each other. Um, the kicks of Yamashita certainly are her, you know, calling card. Uh And I thought they looked really good here, better than in the first match that I saw them in. Yeah, um, very hard hitting match and and just really excellent quality here. Yeah,
2: there's more of a Yamashita. Like I thought she. Came off really well here. And this was a question mark of like how much the, the audience would be into this, but they seemed to be with it. Like this was Mm -hmm. not going to be the hottest match on the show, but they were, they seemed very engaged. And I think you kind of rely on, you know, a lot of the, the offense here that kind of generated that reaction. Rampage will have Dante Martin against Lee Moriarty, Ethan Rush against Leo Ruffin. Uh, Anna Jay against, I, I thought it was Matt Seidel. I think it's Seidel
0: versus Moriarty.
2: Sorry, Seidel against Moriarty sounds uh, correct there. I was just racing here with oh, all Uh these. Ruffin against Ethan Page. Anna Jay against Ruby Soho. Oh, they spoiled it for me. I, I wanted to be surprised when they announced this third of four matches. <laughs> and The then- rumors were true. It turns out they were the scuttlebutt. Uh, The best friends against Lethal, Dutt, and Sutnam Singh. So we'll get to see Sutnam Singh in the ring on Friday. And then next Wednesday, the Undisputed Elite are back. Thunderstorm takes on Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. And Christian Cage versus Matt Hardy. Yeah. Sure. I'm curious to see what that looks like now. Uh, Yeah. And this is where they announced the, the Toronto debuts for October 12th and 13th. And that takes us into the main event as Excalibur passed out
0: uh it's it's a lot, it's always a lot to get through,
2: yeah, Daniel Garcia Brian Danielson, Chris Jericho comes out on commentary. no regal uh Danielson just gets a huge reaction coming out uh he's grown out his hair a bit, and he just immediately goes after Garcia with a running drop kick and kicks, and this crowd's just going nuts, chanting yes tope suicida by danielson he Where sets he up, lands
0: on his face of course
2: uh yeah i mean that's what the face is for it's a cushion sure yeah yeah he starts kicking garcia in a chair on the floor and then hits a running drop kick sending garcia flying off this chair crowds deafening at this point and then danielson comes off the top with a missile drop kick and he sells it like he is out and this this was the spot on Raw when he got the stinger. Was the same move. It was the missile drop kick off the top against Randy Orton. And he he's down and like his eyes are closed and he's selling like he's unconscious. And you've got Bryce coming and like Bryce, dude, this guy would be the worst MMA ref. Like he would just let a guy just get pummeled like beyond repair.
0: He's just are you okay are you conscious yeah he's only a man who's retired for three years because of concussion issues i mean he can make it through this match surely
2: i was thinking that okay they're gonna do the story here that danielson has come back too quick Mm -hmm. and he's going to go out and they're gonna stop this match when there's still like 15 minutes left in the show as like something totally different but that was not what they ended up doing but i really thought they were going to Tease us and do like us, mm. like a stoppage finish. That would Danielson. have been
0: really upsetting for I think all the people that chose to watch this show.
2: But if you're telling <laughs> you know. a bigger story, then it's. But they did. Good. It played into the finish. I, I, let's. I. I don't think this was a, a negative, but that was my thinking three minutes in when when they teased
0: the spot. And the other thing is, uh, so did, I mean, we never really got official confirmation that why why Brian was out. Does does this. I mean kind of I confirm
2: we don't have confirmation it was a concussion but listen that's the story they're playing that's literally what everyone has assumed and I mm-hmm. think this only makes sense that this is like what the story is like there's been right. there's been no contradiction to that line of thinking mm. so m- maybe we'll find out on a uh, Bella's podcast
0: perhaps yeah I mean it's such a sensitive issue I would say for for every single wrestling fan you know um who's been through this entire Brian Danielson comeback saga Um, like usually with injuries, I feel like they're a a bit more kind of like, um, open, uh, about it. Like we, we tend to maybe know exactly what, what, what is, what seems to be bothering people, but the the, the two
2: C's are concussions and COVID. Those are two that seem to be the ones that are Hmm. more guarded. Right. So Garcia just goes after him with hammer fist. The crowd boos this because like, I, I would imagine like when you see the missile, uh, the missile dropkick spot from Danielson, like mm-hmm. it was nine years ago, but I think everyone goes back to that that stinger. Like it's people oh, yeah. remember it, and I would imagine those like in the arena, like this was viewed as like real heel heat that Garcia is going after him here.
0: Oh, it was the perfect type of spot, you it know, a great to, spot. to do. Yeah, yeah because and Brian selling, of course, is is tremendous. Yeah, yes. Like laying there, everybody had a look of concern immediately. It was it was the second
2: best selling of the day,
0: behind you, Well, Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes.
2: The delay. Mm -hmm. Danielson tries to resume and he collapses. Danielson might have been on par, if not ahead of V-ship at this point. And then he rolls out to the floor. Garcia sends him into the steps and DDTs him onto the concrete, uh, which sets up the picture-in-picture. As uh, Doc Sampson is checking on him, Garcia continues the attack. Danielson is bleeding and Garcia bites the wound. I mean, just, I mean, who cares? (laughs) Danielson manages a back suplex off the top, stopping Garcia, and he starts hitting him with kicks and drops him with one to the head. And they keep bringing up he's not a hundred percent yet, and he goes for the stomps, and Garcia is able to stop them and applies a rear naked choke. Danielson gets to his feet uh, with the hooks out and rolls out into cattle mutilation. Garcia escapes that. There's a tiger suplex by Danielson. And then dropping elbows, which again, Garcia reverses. He hits his uh, elbows and then Danielson with the shoulder capture suplex and sets up for the Busaiku knee and midair gets clipped by Garcia. Sharpshooter gets countered into a cradle, like just tremendous transitions between these two. They're trading blows. There's a rolling elbow and he lands the Busaiku knee, goes for the label lock, but Garcia quickly gets to the rope and there's a flying knee off the apron by Danielson and then a magical person from underneath the ring Grabs his boot and Danielson is distracted dealing with this person underneath the ring and he gets back into the ring and this gives Garcia enough time to hit the pile driver. But because Brian Danielson has been home the last two months, he missed the drills to turn the head (laughs) on the pile driver. And this left him prone for the sharpshooter and Garcia bends back. Danielson goes out at 17 minutes and 10 seconds and Garcia gets the win. And it's revealed that it was Jake Hager underneath the ring. Um, This was, this was awesome. And one of those times where man, the one thing in AEW is that I've talked about it. Like you have the tiered system and it's just, you really never get the the upset. And this was one where one of the big guys lost here. And there was a story behind it. Um, but I thought this was executed really, really well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what a great match. And what a fantastic result to come out of it. Um, Brian, I think, came back from injury, from a suspect, sus- suspected concussion. And anytime like you hear a concussion with Brian Danielson, of course, you're going to get in tremendous, tremendously concerned. And he took advantage of that concern for all it was worth and created just this wonderful narrative throughout this entire match. His selling was just really, really, really just perfect here. And I felt like by the end, you had, you know, between the violence and I think between the storytelling and between the atmosphere, I feel like you had a full expression of the type of pro wrestling that I think Brian Danielson is, is chasing after at this stage of his career. But to me, the thing that this sensual you remember most for is, of course, the result here, the unexpected result, the big upset here for Daniel Garcia. This was perhaps the, the biggest match of his life, biggest win of his career on a national stage. Not only did he get to face an idol, he lived up to the very lofty expectations that I think we all had when this match was announced. I would say they exceeded those expectations. This match was that good. Um, and he was booked to win. He'll be able to brag about this match like for the rest of his career. But you know, something tells me that he'll probably have other highlights to be able to brag about in the future as well this was just my match of the night tremendous tremendous match
2: yeah this this was well above anything on the g1 today it was a Mm -hmm. really really strong match to uh, go out of your way to see i i i really enjoyed this episode of dynamite i thought you got several really strong matches which i mean people might be spoiled but that's almost a given on a lot of these weeks you had some very good angles some great stories coming out of this The
0: elevation for the younger talent on the show was Really, really strong.
2: I would say Daniel Garcia, Ricky Starks, and Jungle Boy. All feel at a higher level coming out of tonight's show, mm-hmm. and you're intrigued going forward with with what's next for all of those characters and the stories that they are involved with. I think the Young Bucks Hangman thing is something really intri- intriguing
0: uh, to move forward with. It's um, I, th- I thought Roos took a big step up. You know, these are two very strong performances in in the span of a week from him. So I, I thought he he did great. Dante Martin I thought showed a, a bit more. You know, uh, well roundedness. In in terms of charisma, Hook won a championship. Powerhouse Hobbs took a big step, you know, like being his own guy, possibly leaving Team Taz. So, so many, like, so much great build coming out of this show on top of the great wrestling. So, yeah, this was great.
2: All right. Uh, So those were our thoughts
0: on Dynamite. What were yours? Well, we have a few Super Chats to get to here. One from Fact Channel, who sends $2. Thank you for the support, Fact Channel. Says show finish was more shocking than Leclerc's crash. Did you agree, John? Um,
2: Ferrari, uh, having, having a, a catastrophe isn't as shocking
0: anymore, but yeah, it was. Uh,
2: I, I don't I know, guess, if, I guess, given he was like cruising in front, maybe a little surprising.
0: Maybe Brian had a moment in the back. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Dickie bird sends five Australian dollars. Thank you for the support as always. Dickie bird. He says, if I fly out of Toronto on the 10th of October and make it back in time for my wife's 30th birthday, am I a horrible person for pushing back my flights? Yeah. I don't know if you're going to be able to get away with that one. Dickie bird. Um, even though rampage is only what Dynamite's only three days away from when you're supposed to leave. Uh, you cannot miss your wife's 30th birthday.
2: Yeah. Make make, make it home for the birthday.
0: Yeah. Um, uh it'll be the better choice, trust us. Hansi, Hansi sends seven dollars. Thank you for the support, Hansi. He said main event had Sean Owen November 95 raw vibes with the story, and Jungle and Starks cut their best promos tonight. Nice G1 coverage. Well, thank you, Hansi. Thanks as always right. for uh your support. Thanks for calling in from time to time and uh thanks for listening to the G1.
2: Okay, let's go through some of this feedback from the forum. We started off with Benjamin. Um I worry that Danielson just returned from injury that Tony Khan described as being a conservative approach to dealing with it. And instead of it being a conservative return, it was Danielson getting busted open in a bit of a heavy matchup. I appreciate what Danielson did for Garcia, though. Uh, the crowd being as surprised and excited about Hook was cool. Great way to see that belt off Starks because he's going to be a great babyface moving forward. Women get another dead air slot. It's the biggest strike against Tony Khan's booking. It makes him seem like he doesn't give a shit about women's wrestling.
0: Dead air spot meaning like what that nine fifteen sort of to nine thirty hour that dip, yeah. Um, I'll say though, when when a woman's match, especially with a, somebody who's a complete unknown in uh, Miyu Yamashita, gets the reaction that it got today, like it's that much more impressive. So I f- I would say that they overcame it. Um, but-
2: I, I can I can understand like the. The complaints that, that seem to go in waves when it comes to the, the women's division. And I think more of the consistency is just the, the attention on who your push characters are and having those consistent stories. I'm less concerned about where the match is slotted. Like you can certainly argue about when a match is big enough that it can headline your show. But are, are you going to be dramatically, um, changing your course if this was airing at, 845 instead of 915. I think it's a small thing. I think there's an overall thought more so just to the consistency for some of the women and and having like a, a deeper story. But for tonight's, I mean, it was, I mean, the story was there. Like Yamashita beat her in a non-title match and they brought it to television. So, I mean, this this was not a major program. It was just a reason for a rematch. And I thought it it worked well, but. This was not going to be, you know, in your your two big segments, if you're looking at segment one and your final segment, um, this match was not going to be in either one of those.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily look at this week as like a week to for me at least complain about like the treatment of, of of the women on the show like certainly there are weeks where like you you're going into dynamite or, or rampage or dynamite with a completely cold women's match with zero build whatsoever i don't think this was one of those cases and maybe this was the type of build that was asking a bit more of its audience you know to watch dark to watch this match to really kind of get into it um but they did give attention to it like for me at least you know and i was fully invested and they gave them time to you know tell a pretty good story in ring so I was satisfied. Like, I thought they had a pretty stand-up performance. But maybe if you weren't following the entire thing, you, you would have a great. We got a Johnny Sanchez who says, Hey, guys, just want to say first that I like this episode a lot. But this, has, but this episode still highlights major, major issues I had with AEW this year. Specifically, specifically with three titles. The TNT title, the tag title, and the women's title. The women's title, I love Thunder and absolutely love Miu, but the crowd seemed a bit dead. I know the AEW audience are known to watch other the promotions, but that still is no substitute to building up your challenger. Miyu hit her head kick and the audience barely bit on the false finish. We should have had more than a one-week build of hopefully you saw the TJPW pay-per-view or the dark episode. What, did you agree? Like, I, I, Did the crowd seem dead to you?
2: No, no, they did not. I, I mean, I'm not, if you're comparing it to like the main event or the opener, it wasn't going to be at that level, but I thought they seemed into it.
0: They seemed like that to me as well. Maybe, you know, maybe other people uh, felt differently. So, yeah, you could be right, Johnny Sanchez. I, I guess I didn't have the same uh, opinion. Uh, he goes, where's Wardlow? Why don't we have a promo to help us know who could be his next opponent or build to a battle of the belts or the pay-per-view opponent? Happy Swerve and Lee are, are champions, but why aren't they being challenged by established teams? Just feels like we have the same issue WWE had of making singles wrestlers be teams that wrestle the champs, adding more titles while building some of your other other. Undervalued is making the belt seem common. Problem, okay. This,
2: Uh, this, this to me is a bigger problem, and and this is more on the, to me, unrealistic expectation level. Is that tonight's show focused on several talents and making sure that they had big segments, and we just went over them with with Hook, with Ricky Starks, with Jungle Boy, and like my biggest complaint in the show is that you cram too much in here. So where was Wardlow? Like, did we need to have Wardlow on this show? Like, I agree. Like, you you can't get every single person over on this roster. You have to make a decision that these are the six to seven top acts. Then we have the four guys underneath that are our next crop that we want to get up to the next level. You cannot just put every single person on this show. And this week,
0: okay, we didn't get Wardlow on the show. But
2: cramming but him you in. You got for,
0: Ricky Starks. You got like a number of great segments with Ricky Starks. Like they have a lot look, of titles. This show accomplished a lot for D- Daniel Garcia was elevated tonight. Ricky
2: Starks was absolutely elevated tonight. Jungle Boy had a great talking segment tonight as well. Hook, um, took a big yeah. step forward with, with that reaction. Like, dude, those were four, uh, young talents that to me are in better standing today than they were 24 hours ago so uh, the basis of your complaint to me they did the opposite with what they had rather than just put every
0: single person on the show and nothing sticks it's a game of juggling and as this company grows they're going to have to keep all balls in the air um, with only so many hands this <laughs> analogy work at all uh, and, you know, you can, you can again argue that maybe there are too many titles, but you can't argue that there are more, too many storylines, you know? Like, if you, if it wasn't, if Wardlow appeared on the show and Ricky Starks didn't, we'd probably be complaining about that. If, 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 if I don't know, uh, uh, Wardlow was on the show and Jungle Boy was in, we'd probably be complaining about that. Uh. I, I I think it's fine to have not have Wardlow up here, at least for this week. He did appear on ROH, I believe, where he said, like, he's open to facing anybody, whether it be on the ROH or AEW or any roster. So I think they're just maybe having him take a bit of a step back before, before focusing on a storyline for him. But you only have so much TV time and only, only so many stories that you can tell at, at one time. Swerve and Lee are right now. They're, they're getting new challengers and they're not necessarily an established team, but it seems like maybe a lot of the established teams might be saved for the trios thing is, is what I'm imagining. Um, And I think the, they need to, you know, get their wins un- under the their belt for now, you know, really build them up and, and get them on a good run much in the same way that I think you had for Luchasaurus and jungle boy when they started before really, you know, having them giving them like the big challengers. It's only been one week. Well, two weeks, I suppose after the, the, the celebration but i'm i think it's a little too soon to you know get on for that
2: okay noah says i can't tell you how excited i am about aw coming to toronto i'm shocked they aren't running the scotia bank arena but given it's in october i'm sure the leafs and raptors take precedence any idea though on why they would be doing the rampage taping on the thursday instead of friday um you know having an extra day on the road i i don't see the need to stay up here longer than you do um mm-hmm. I, i'm
0: yeah, people expect Rampage to be a taped show anyway. You know, um, to have like, is is the appeal of it being live that much more of a draw? You know, to to justify the added cost of being not in not town? if you're
2: attending live, like that's like yeah. you're, you're you're going there, you're watching it live.
0: And... It's more time on the road for your talent. It's more hotel. It's more production cost that you're probably going to have to pay for. And if there are travelers to Toronto, you're asking to stay an extra day, which. Toronto is a great city, of course, you know, you could probably spend a great day in Toronto, but um, you probably want to save money, too.
2: Yeah. um, And from the talent side, too, if you're a talent that does do independence, like, you know, having having a Friday open is a lot more advantageous for your schedule than having a Thursday open. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, let's go to or sorry, you're up next. Got Jay Wiggs, who says, good evening, guys. I must say that this dynamite felt more focused and less crammed in a long time. Post match segments were given time to breathe. Now, I'm not going to say every segment is in particular that Hobbs one, but okay, sure. And everything felt like it was building to something down the road. Dynamite is my favorite wrestling show to watch, but I sometimes feel drained and overloaded with content. Even Excalibur's promo read wasn't as intense. As for the show itself, great stuff. Ricky Starks felt like the biggest that I can recall. Hopefully moving the FTW belt off of him frees him up for a more consistent main event spot. The guy is money. I don't know if you noticed him holding his neck after the Danhausen match. I definitely hope that he was selling uh because it played so much into the story i would say it probably was daniel garcia must be very well liked he's the main event a lot and danielson surprisingly lost to him i wish it didn't have that lame interference but they are sports entertainers (laughs) (laughs) very good uh writing out spelling of entertainers very nice uh it says you guys do great work i've been a listener for years thank you so much jaywigs for the uh thank you post Tenise writes, when Tony Khan hears criticism
2: about something poor received last week, man, does he come back in full force for the next one. This was a great episode of Dynamite. Watching Roosh in Khan's vision is a marvel. When he's motivated, he produces performances like this and what he did with his brother. My main concern for him is clearing up that knee. It was brutal. <laughs> Damn. The FTW title switch felt like felt like it was a classic ECW moving from one angle to the next. I was shocked by the Hobbs turn, but Stark's face run will be outstanding. Some will be sour on playing up the concussion, but I don't mind it. It's the philosophy used in Japan with a returning wrestler from an injury. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't. It's. I, I would almost guess this would would have been Danielson's idea to come uh, back.
0: No, and, no one's telling Danielson says, what body part to sell in in his match. I, I've I've no doubt it was his idea. Anyway, uh, yeah. thanks for the feedback, Denise. All right, we got a crooked letter M Muggin who says a strong bounce back episode, and Brian Danielson was a big reason why. He and Daniel Garcia put on a great match, and Brian's selling scared me. Garcia gets a signature win, and Brian has an out for not tapping out. I'm so here for a baby face Starks, and I dug how it got there from beating Danhausen to losing the FTW title to Hobbs turning on him. It flowed so easily. Rosa Yamashita too was hamstrung by time constraints in the 9:30 death slot. I found their match on dark to be superior. Jungle Boy delivered a strong promo that got his feud with Christian Cage on the right foot.
2: I mean they had they had ten minutes. I mean it was third longest match. I I I didn't feel it was hurt by the lack of time. Um, you know it had ten and it had a break in there. But I a, any match that's going over five is is getting the picture in picture treatment. Kate writes very strong episode tonight with some great wrestling and a fantastic segment built around Ricky Starks. It's been clear recently that audiences are going to treat him as a babyface, and it's always a smarter move to go with those reactions rather than trying to fight them. I thought that Rosa and Mew hit their stride after a slightly wonky start, and they got the best crowd reaction I think they could have given the piss poor build and the placement in the soft spot before the main event. At this point, Tony should just christen 920 to 940 as girl time and make an official graphic. Well, there is a lot of complaints about this slotting of this title match. The main event was great, but as someone who's had a couple of concussions, including one last week, I spent much of it with my heart in my mouth. Danielson seems hell-bent on scaring all his fans to death
0: before he retires. Well, I hope, Kate, you are okay. I had no idea, yeah, because we asked a lot of Kate last week between SmackDown and ROH, so I hope you're feeling better, Kate. And yeah, this, this would not have been a great show for Kate between all the uh, concussion work and the blood. Did well, you she get said she was spit? okay
2: with the blood. There was no spit, was there? Ah,
0: right. I, I, Not to my knowledge, at least. Finally, we got a Luke from Quebec who says, I really like this Dynamite because it moved a lot of stories forward. Nice to finally have something for Hook to do. Ricky going full baby babyface and splitting from Hobbs is the right move, and they can both move on to great things. Props to Brian and Tony for having Garcia over. It reminded me of the Utah Moxley match, except here the young up-and-comer actually gets the win. I love that we can see these kinds of upsets in AEW. I'm excited for the future. Garcia is not only great in the ring, but also an extremely high-level promo. I'm getting really tired of Kip Sabian and his damn box in the crowd with his slow clapping gimmick. I find him really distracting, and I hope he gets to do something real soon.
2: You know what? I know he's there, but he is not the least distracting to me. Like I don't are, even are think about sure it. Are we
0: sure it's even him? Like it could be anybody in the back with the box <laughs> on their head. Like I pay so little attention to it that it's like I, I couldn't
2: possibly have any complaint possible because it's just it's like any other fan. Like I would I would love to know people that watch this show how many people have even paid attention to this once
0: well exactly and, and number one i agree it doesn't bother me in the least it's like a, a sort of like a little easter egg at this point but is it effective in building for a guy's return no is not at all buzz? but he's been doing this forever like i don't i don't even think about it no it's it's not effective at all right yeah like is there any buzz for a kip saving return right now zero zero unless they do something unless they start paying attention to it you know in story
2: yeah. Um, I mean, he could attack a guy one day and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh my gosh. It was what a, what a great build. He's been, he's been there for 50 weeks. What, our what fans, a slow
0: burn. We were fans, so impatient. Our fans allowed to show up with their own boxes. Like, what if there, so um, th- there's some coffee cats there There's nothing the stopping
2: anyone from wearing a box. I don't think.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, you can't go on like a full kind of like, you know, cosplay, like a dead mouse head or something. You can't do you that. Can't- I think that'd be obstructing people's views. I guess so.
2: Okay. Well, that brings an end to another edition of Rewind to Dynamite. But fear not, we will be back on Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern time for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. All of you. Postwrestlingcafe.com, uh, feedback thread or the question thread is up at forum.postwrestling.com. So you have ne- until one Eastern to get your questions in, or you can call in if you are at the double, double, ice cap or espresso level of the cafe. Um, so there you have it. And way, um, next week you will not be here, uh, but someone will be here chatting dynamite with me.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We have a great roster and a, a lot of wide, varied takes. Maybe people who, uh, um, aren't so bothered by uh you all should, the blood in the mouth. You should just spots. leave
2: the you should just leave the camera on and I'll just like come on here with an empty frame and that your chair will be empty for weeks. Wow. Okay. And I then you can that. slowly have like a box on your head <laughs> and then eventually reveal yourself at
0: the end. I can definitely try that. Okay.
2: I have, uh, I have talked too long today. (laughs) I am going to stop and that is it. We will chat with you on Ask Away and that concludes Rewind to Dynamite.